this Wednesday, I've invited a panel of media monitoring experts, all of who are quoted in my new 2020 Media Monitoring Buyer's Guide to discuss the state of media monitoring. And um, I'll tell you how to download a free copy of the report at the end of today's session. I want to uh, first uh, give a thanks to our presenting sponsor, the Electronic Freedom Foundation. Uh, the Electronic Freedom Foundation champions user privacy, free expression, and innovation through impact litigation, policy analysis, grassroots activism, and technology development. The Electronic Freedom Foundation is a U.S. 501c3 nonprofit, and you can donate online at erichschwartzman.com forward slash EFF. Our bookstagram of the week is Make Noise, a creator's guide to podcasting and great storytelling by Eric Newsom, who worked on the TED Radio Hour and a bunch of NPR podcasts. Um, great book. It's a practical guide to developing audio content that works through storytelling. And his big idea is basically think the way audiences listen. Uh, there's an interesting backstory to how I found the book. I, I subscribed to this newsletter called Hot Pod about the business of podcasting. And if you are interested in the business of podcasting, you should definitely subscribe to Hot Pod. They get all kinds of scoops. Anyway, the book was advertised in a classified ad in the newsletter, and I bought it straight away. So it's an example of effective psychographic advertising at work. Anyway, Newsom also wraps in all sorts of wisdom and advice from Ira Glass, producer of This American Life, and Terry Gross of Fresh Air on how to stand out in this fastest of fast-growing media channels. It's 250 pages, a fairly dense read, and uh, check it out. Okay, let's introduce our panel. We have uh, four media monitoring experts. We have Jonna Burke. She is Global Managing Director of AMEC, the International Association for the Measurement and Evaluation of Communications. Jonna, welcome. Thanks, Eric. We have Johnny Bentwood. He's Global Head of Data and Analytics at Golan. Welcome, Johnny. Thanks very much. Hi, everybody. Coming to us from across the pond in the U.K., we have Eric Kofut. He is the president and CEO at Public Relay. Eric, how are you? Doing great. And we have the queen of measurement, uh, Katie Kane. As she is a measurement insights and analytics consultant at Payne Publishing. Katie, thanks for, for joining us. Hey, it's great to talk to you. It's great to see everybody here, actually. Welcome to everyone and all our viewers. The chat room is open for questions, so please, please feel free to ask them as you have them. Uh, I want to start with a little backstory on what led me to write a 54-page media monitoring buyer's guide. I was at the Public Relations Society of America's International Conference a few months ago, and it occurred to me after seeing the developments in and around the space that it had become really difficult for buyers to assess the options, compare the platforms, and make informed purchasing decisions in this area, which for most PR people really is the entry-level PR tech product. Uh, well, it's either media monitoring or a journalist database, and let's hope it's media monitoring first, so at least PR knows what the conversation already underway is before they interject. Um, and I learned so much from these panelists. They helped guide me and provided expert, expert insights um, that helped me with authoring the, the 2020 Media Monitoring Buyer's Guide. We're not going to focus so much on the platforms I covered in the Buyer's Guide in this session. Uh, you can download the Buyer's Guide and check out the features, comparison grid, the user ratings, and the platform analysis for that. We're going to focus more on the major challenges in the media monitoring space, challenges that really every platform provider and every client faces. So uh, with that, let's start with a conversation about media monitoring and coronavirus. So obviously, the economic impact of this pandemic is unparalleled in modern history. How should clients be using media monitoring tools to try and get some advanced warning about how the disease will impact their business? Uh, Johnny, let's start with you. Yeah, thanks, everybody. And I hope everyone is safe and well at the moment. I suppose one of the things that people get wrong is they think having the tool is an end in itself. It's not. It's what you do with it that counts. And that's what I really want to focus on. You see, I don't want to use these media monitoring tools to produce another report that CNN can do much better than I can. It's the context that counts. So what I try and understand is what is going on for my clients in terms of what is the world saying about them? 
What are they saying about their competitors? What are they saying about their supply chain? What are people saying about their customers, their industry? What about similar industries? What, how are other people looking at it? And then from that, I can give insight to clients because people don't want, here's 40,000 articles that are being said. They want to know an answer to two key things. What do I need to know and what should I do about it? And that's where media monitoring tools can speed up that time to get that insight from something that's taking hours to something that takes minutes. So I spend my time being providing that valuable added insight on top of that to give guidance. And whether that guidance is to understand the landscape, whether that guidance is to try and do recovery analysis by saying what you can do, or whether that analysis is trying to understand crisis and issues management, trying to explain this is where you are in the hype and the long tail of it, this isn't a crisis for you, or perhaps identifying an issue that is coming your way. The technology at the moment is amazing and can predict trends, can anticipate the future, but can also hopefully explain where you are at the moment. Because anybody who's just facing it just sees an onslaught and they can't see the wood from the trees. So these media monitoring tools allow you to get that insight. And with smart analysis, it can provide that quick speed of information, which is vital today. With, without these partners doing this media monitoring, we'd never be able to do that. Um, Jana and Katie, uh, what are you seeing with respect to how clients and platform providers are trying to use media monitoring to get some kind of handle on the economic impact of coronavirus? Do you want to take the? Do you want to jump in, Jana? Go ahead and start, Katie. Well, it's just it's what's, what I'm finding is is that it's not so much that I mean they're they're all monitoring it because what they're trying to figure out is. In fact, I literally just got off a dashboard two seconds before this call started looking at how one of my clients and four of its fairly visible competitors are positioned on the subject. I mean, they're just basically getting a quick snapshot of, of here are my competitors, here's who's positive, here's who's negative. But more importantly, what they're trying to figure out is if my competitor is going negative, if there's stuff coming up about them, is that something I need to worry about? And if so, I'm going to get prepared for it. And Eric, what about you guys? What are you guys doing to help clients with damage control? Um, a lot of what we do is uh, pick up on the narratives, what's being discussed. Are our messages in control? Do we know what's going on? And it's not just, of course, in a crisis, it's not about the keywords, it's about the message. Is our company organized? Is our leadership in place? Do we have contingencies for our customers, but also now, especially for our employees? and even our vendors to try to keep some level of stability and normalcy to the world. So a lot of this is, is it spinning out of control? Are we in control? Who are the influences that matter? Uh, what things are getting traction in social media that we should be aware of? What's, what's spinning up or spinning down that we have to react to? And it, it's a lot about knowledge. It's really understanding what's going on smartly because you can get easily overwhelmed with the volume and volume of data. It doesn't mean you're learning anything from it. And for any of us in the communications business to make sense, to make a smart strategy, you really have to have quality data. You've got to cut the noise, you know, what is going on. But you also have to know it very, very quickly. Uh, uh, it's so, so important to have a fast turnaround on what's going on. It's a, it's a matter of, of minutes or hours. Certainly, you're talking days, you're, you're behind the curve. You're, you're, you're a dead man or a dead woman. Let me let me ask a, uh, an artificial intelligence question that I think I think it's a common question people have, and the question is: If Amazon knows what I want to buy, and Netflix knows what I want to watch, why can't my media monitoring platform show me the news I want to see? Well, it can. I mean, I'm going to just jump in here because I just finished a massive test of AI using it to predict crisis and, and tell you how to how to respond. But the reality is, is the fact that it absolutely can. I mean, the the limitations are basically quantity. You're not necessarily going to get that much volume in order to use AI effectively. I worked with Full Intel to and and Professor Tim Coombs, who's sort of the guru of crisis 
response. And he's done an amazing amount of research. And I thought, you know, let's just see what he thinks about this concept that I had. Can you feed in three different crises? Can AI identify a crisis, identify the type of crisis, and therefore tell you how best to respond? And we get about 95, 97% accuracy when we compared it to actually humans interpreting a crisis. So the answer is, is the fact you absolutely can. Um, you just have to have the volume and have the parameters correct so you know what you're looking for. Katie, what's the risk of, um, of PR being replaced Artificial intelligence. That's exactly what that was the first question that that came up. I just did a presentation of this research to an to a public relations research conference in in Orlando, and that was the first question everybody asked. And the answer is is no, because you're not going to nobody, no CEO, CMO, frankly CFO, is going to trust a computer at this point. I mean maybe down the road, but right now they're not going to trust a computer to say, you know what, if the computer says, the AI system says, look, at this is a self-inflicted crisis. The only way you're going to get away with having any kind of a credible response is to do an abject apology, make good in some way. That might be the entirely correct response, but you're not going to convince anybody of doing that simply because a computer told you so. What you're going to do is you're going to use the, the AI-generated data points to say, you know what, in prior crises, when there have been self-inflicted wounds like this, let's just say Boeing or whoever, and they've done stupid things, and they have responded this way, this is how long it takes the crisis to go away, this is the volume of negative coverage, this has been the damage to the brand. And if you show somebody, especially a CFO or a CEO or a board of directors or somebody who cares about numbers and charts and graphs, if you show them that chart that says, okay, this is how this has happened in the past. This is how we recommend going forward. And here's the chart and the data to prove it. Guess what? They'll listen to you. I've been doing this for 30 some odd years. You show them charts and graphs and numbers and they do listen to you. There's still a difference between your shopping carts of those things that you've specifically searched for and then having those cookies follow you around as opposed to things that will organically come up that are important to your business that may or may not be on your radar. So I, I think that that's part of it. And, and Google Alerts taught us a lot about news monitoring, right? Is even if someone is using Google Alerts, if they are a PR agency, as an example, and they have a broader scope of all of the things that they're looking for across all of their clients, something might hit for a particular client and that client will get the alert first because that's their core business. It's not the algorithms that are being written. That's the point of machine learning and AI. You're not writing algorithms. It's learning from what's already been done. I'm going to challenge a little bit of this. In terms of AI, looking at patterns of categorizing events, that makes a lot of sense. But in the reality, the world of, of communications for day-to-day -day dealing with news breaking and opinions and concepts being out there, uh, AI is a long, long way away. And I say this from a, a area of experience, We're, we work have for both, work with multiple years now with the MIT Media Lab on this. Uh, the challenge they're finding is a couple fold. Uh, one is probably the biggest challenge is when you're dealing with AI, you have to get a training set. It's called labeled data. And the labeled data that's fed into AI is a feedback loop for it to get, to get better. The challenge in communications is the, the concepts, the zeitgeist, if you will, of things that are being discussed changes so fast in our business. And that's a fact, especially during a crisis, that what was a training set yesterday is irrelevant tomorrow. And so it can't learn fast enough. The data sets are not big enough for it to learn fast enough. And the challenge is, once that given crisis spikes go away, does it go back to the pre-crisis norm? So I then take that training set, or do I have a new set C that I'm learning from? And it gets more complex than that. You have perspective. Two people can look at the same news story and have two different opinions of whether it's a good or a bad story. And even the same story that was good today could be bad tomorrow just because the world has evolved. And now it's a problem. Uh, you see this temporal nature of things. AI really, really struggles with that. And there's a great book called AI Superpowers by, by Kai-Fu Lee. And he talks about this kind of analysis. And it requires general artificial intelligence. Not specific. Specific artificial intelligence is like the model, Katie, that you were talking about matching. That's a specific AI. 
But communications, understanding what's being said, is an application of general artificial intelligence. It's something being discussed in the context of the larger world. That's general artificial intelligence. And it is almost universal across the cutting-edge minds in artificial intelligence. On the Media Lab, Kai Fului, and dozens of others, they say that that is decades away, if ever. And that's a quote. And we have to be very careful to use technology. Look, we use AI where it applies. It's actually pretty good at relevancy. Is this article or this piece of content immediately relevant to our client? We use it for that. When you're talking about picking up things like reputational drivers, whether it's innovation or thought leadership or social responsibility, ESG, it struggles mightily. And I mean mightily with that. Uh, You see examples all the time where where contemporary uh, references are used. Think about it. Me Too meant nothing three years ago. It means everything now. And by the way, that changed almost overnight. All of a sudden, that hashtag changed. AI couldn't, can't keep up with those kinds of things. So let's be careful to not ascribe too much to AI. It's good at some things in specific applications, but for better or worse, us as communications professionals, the kind of insights we have understanding discussion in the larger context of a brand and the marketplace requires general AI, which is literally nowhere. Well, that's that's a very interesting answer. Let Just to take that a little bit further, um, you know, we, we have the, obviously this problem of of fake news. Um, why can't AI solve the fake news problem? Again, AI can't solve that problem because it's not solving a technical problem. Fake news today is generated by human beings who can adapt, you know, just as, we, you know, it's just as you just said, you know, I mean, most of the of the misinformation and disinformation today is being generated by human beings in in you know troll farms who are very carefully very smartly tailoring their messages to be as credible as possible i spoke with a chief scientist of pinterest uh for the report he's also a professor of computer science at stanford about why ai can't solve the fake news problem what he said is that in order to debunk fake news, basically what you have to do is build a machine that knows all the truth in the world so that then you can say what is truthful and what is not. So essentially you have to build a machine that knows everything that's the truth because only then, when you understand everything that's true, can you say whether something is fake. And at this stage in the game, that's still a bridge too far. Why don't we go back to you, John, on this one. What are the most important considerations buyers should have when they're shopping for a media monitoring service? I continue to, I mean, in working with data, there's a reason why it's a data stack now that everybody's talking about and not just, you know, simple inputs. And I think across the entire stack, though, they have to qualify what that data looks like. What's the sourcing? Are are the items relevant to who their stakeholders are? Because I'm a huge believer um, in garbage in, garbage out, right? I think when you know people are talking about providing insights, well, if your insights are based on crappy data, then at best your insights can only be crappy. So, you know, understanding what those elements and and looking at and I think kind of sanitizing the data that you know that you're gonna be putting forward and how it's slanted, what some of those elements are, because I think even in looking at your you know, your um, reputation score, when you're doing that with um, certain sources that are definitely slanting one way or another, then you're automatically skewing the data. And if people are using a sampling of already skewed data, I mean, there's no way to get that train back on the tracks. And I think there is an appetite at the C-suite for good data, but not for, you know, just the cheapest data that you can get to produce a report. And I think that's the big difference that people need to be looking at when they are, you know, trying to formulate insights from the information that they're looking at is, is our data qualified and validated before we're even trying to do some deeper analysis on it? Johnny, Eric, why don't you tell us, uh, you know, when, when people are kicking your tires at Public Relay, what are their, what are their most important considerations? What, what do they ask you when they're, when they're considering whether or not to, to sure buy thing. Public Relay? Well, a lot of what John has said, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in is, is you have to have quality data and that's, one of the things that our clients find is the starting point is many are very, very frustrated with, with 
it doesn't matter the other solution they're using, it doesn't matter, but they're very, very frustrated with the quality of data that they get. They're, they're having to, to dig through stuff and clean stuff up and retag stuff and so forth. And they're just tired of it and devote a lot of resources to it. And so they want quality data. But questions they have to ask, though, is, is what are they trying to do with the data? What does their boss require? What does the operations require? What do they need to do their job every day? What knowledge makes them smarter, more efficient, more effective? So start with that. If you're a smaller organization that doesn't have a lot of coverage, don't spend the money on an expensive system because it's just not going to provide the value. But as you work up the sophistication chain or sometimes just net savings of resources, you may say, look, I want something that does a little bit more for me and gives me what I need to take to my CEO or my CMO or my CCO, depending on your role, or if you are the CCO, to carry it to the C-suite and to the board with quality data. And so that's what we find a lot of people sort of trading that off, the trade-off of what I do myself with a tool, what do I have my provider, and it could be an agency partner as well using the tool or a third-party all-in measurement solution. Uh, that's the kind of trade-off they're may- making, and it's important. Each organization is different. And I think, I think we have uh, uh, John. You're on. So the question you asked is what do we look for when we're looking for a media uh, monitoring uh, partner? I think the important thing to realize is let's get rid of the term vendor and let's get rid of trying to build it ourselves, which is what a lot of people like to do, and let's focus on getting a partnership. Because there's so many different companies out there who can do so many similar activities, and many companies are buying each other up. There's fewer and fewer ones out there. So I'm looking for a partner where it's a win-win situation. Of the certain amount of minimum functionality I need, but when so many people use the same sources, I want to have someone who will grow with me, who can be responsive to my needs. If I'm having difficulties, then I want them to be able to respond. Saying that, there are certain hygiene factors that are absolutely critical, and they will never get to the second stage. These are being able to track both social and traditional together. I know that there's a legacy of people saying, I'm a social media monitor, or I just look after social or traditional news. The rest of the world doesn't care about that. So when I'm looking for a partner to do these services, I care about something that bears have known for thousands of years, but humans have forgotten. You fish where the fish are. So I want my media buying partner to be able to get the sources where my audience are, whether that's social, whether it's traditional, whether it's in obscure forums or specialist media. I want to be able to get that. The second bit, I want to have a partner that and a technology solution where I can write the strongest Boolean possible. I want to also be able to have a business model that works well for me. I have had work with potential partners who have had an amazing solution, but kill it for stupid reasons. Perhaps the most stupid one of the lot is when one of the partners refused to do business with me because I was based in London and the head office was based in New York, and they couldn't figure out who would get revenue for getting the deal, the extra bonus. But I want a company that is going to help focus on working with me so it's going to be useful for my business, so I can have an extra client, I can manage a crisis like corona without worrying about data limits or number of users. We all grow and succeed together. Katie, talk to us a little bit about making the shift from monitoring for news coverage to monitoring for business intelligence, because when, when when we all started with this, we were monitoring to see where we got our, our our news coverage, and now you know by combining that news coverage with other data, internal metrics, external metrics, the comparison reveals you know the, the intersection reveals the insights. So so talk to us a little bit about that. It's not about measuring what I do every day. It's not about measuring how well my press release did. It's about measuring PR's um, contributions to the strategic priorities. Now, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of companies out there when I say, what are your strategic priorities from a business perspective? They don't have a good answer. Now, that's scary in and of itself, but let's assume that somehow somebody's let PR know what strategic priorities are, you then start measuring against them and you work backwards from your business priorities. So if your business priorities are to bring in more business or improve your reputation or attract more talent or whatever those, you know, big corporate goals are, you start there and you say, okay, 
Now, how does every element in the communications function support that? And in what way and how do we measure each, each, each pillar of that support? And then, yes, it frequently does come down to generating good press coverage or getting our messages out via the media or via earned media in general, in which case there's a measurement. There's a metric for that. I mean, essentially I, I try to suggest that they define what good press is by, by developing a custom index for it. But you got to have all these conversations. And I think the biggest issue is it was easy to measure the media coverage because it just came in in little envelopes every day or came in your, in your dashboard every day. But now PR people are going to have to rethink that contribution and reframe it around whatever the business priorities are. Folks, the, Folks, chat, the chat room is open, open for questions, questions. So, so if you've got to ask them. Jonna, how sophisticated are most media monitoring users? I mean, are, are most users out there still monitoring for press coverage, or are they monitoring for business intelligence? I'd say it depends on the user. It depends on the region. And, you know, I think, I think that's a, a fair question, but I think it varies so much, even from market to market that it's, it's difficult to put kind of a, a number on that of, you know, where everybody is in that range. I think Katie touched on the important piece and that is planning, right? Uh, there's so many of those conversations that are taking place where you're asking someone, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? How does this align with your overall business objectives? And, you know, there's still a disparity between understanding the communications goals and the elements that, are, are kind of amplifying and accelerating what they're doing and how those tie into the overall business goal. And, um, you know, shameless plug, luckily Emmett has a, a primer for planning because I think it, it really is a piece that people talk about and they mistake writing a plan for planning. And planning does mean a better alignment of, of your overall objectives of what you're trying to accomplish. You know, I think there are a lot of agencies like Golan, um, like larger agencies, who are incredibly sophisticated for what they're looking for, for their clients, because they know that it is this piece of the business that they're trying to impact. They understand very clearly what those objectives are, um, as opposed to some other organizations who are responding to an RFP that says, you know, we need five press releases and, you know, three social media posts a month. And those still exist. Um, so I, I think it, it, it always goes back to, how people are fundamentally prepared and, and what they're trying to accomplish, or if they're just checking a box of, you know, report on media coverage and PR check. And, and that's where the, the big divide I think exists. Let's take a minute and respond to Alex. Um, and I imagine whoever responds to this question is going to respond with a question to Alex. So um, he asks which partners are best for monitoring both social and traditional media uh, Johnny, can you answer that without asking more questions? The partner I think is best at the moment is Talkwalker. They interlink social and traditional together in a very compelling way so I can see how content moves from one channel to other channels. And I think that's fantastic. Wow, that's quite a plug. Anyone else want to uh, answer this? It goes back to what are you trying to accomplish? You know, what are the elements that are most important to you? And you know, I think because there are strengths and weaknesses across the full spectrum of all of the providers and where that aligns with what you're really trying to accomplish and where you're going to get the most benefit from your constituents is probably the, the way to, to gravitate in those areas. Katie, you're vendor neutral. Uh, how do you how do you respond to that, Alex's Alex question? question? Well, my, the way I typically do is similar to similar to what John just said, which is you know it starts with what problem are you trying to solve. Um, but in terms of integration, almost everybody offers some form of integration these days. I agree. I actually agree with John that I mean Talkwalker has an impressive system, but so does a lot of other people. And and the question really is what's your budget? what kind of information you need. I mean, Talkwalker, in in full disclosure, they sponsored a, a column that we ran um, on crisis, and they provided me with great data. It was wonderful. You know, frankly, the same thing could be said of Signal, and I'm sure Public Relay, you know, I mean, I, we saw, I was part of a vendor review 
not that long ago. None of them were unimpressive. Mostly what it's going to come down to is what's your budget? Do you need foreign languages? And what do you think about their business practices? Because I got to tell you, if you go into the PRSA you know, forum, there's a lot of conversations about business practices and how people deal with you and whether they go around you, whether they sue you, whether all kinds of, of major, major issues that some companies, you know, just, they just have bad business practices and drive people away. It's, it's what John was saying about, you know, right. somebody not wanting to do business with you because you couldn't figure out who got the revenue. That's dumb. But that's not all that unusual. Let's talk a little bit about monitoring for message pass through versus just keywords and phrases. I got to think that's that's going to be a pretty manual process, right? What is the right message that's coming through is often wrong. A lot of people think that is the thing that's com- the greatest phrase or the greatest grouping of context that is the most important. There's companies out there like Quid Do It, there's a, again a bit of talk walker that does it, that looks at that centrality thing. It's not necessarily message pull through, it's how much of what you say is central to the overall topic of the conversation. But even that, is less so when it determines what you see that is how do you measure and what you determine is success. Now, earlier on, he discussed that um, measuring success comes back to outcome. The approach that I believe everybody should take is use these different monitoring tools to measure the customer journey. Because if people want to drive sales, they've got to get them to proceed at first, awareness, consideration, attitude, purchase and advocacy sorted first. And these monitoring tools can provide hundreds of metrics to determine that. By all means, get other tools to complement it around clickstream data, visual insights, clustering, uh, web data to help understand it more. Which is why when you're trying to say what is important, it's not necessarily message pull through. It's which are the metrics that actually drive the change in the aspects of the customer journey that is critical to your business. And if you measure each stage of the customer journey relative to your competitors, it helps you determine where to focus. And if the focus is on attitude, then I don't care about metrics such as um, reach or number of mentions. I care about, am I changing attitude, sentiment, the number of positive influences? If, I'm ch- if the focus is on consideration, I don't care about attitude. I care about message pull-through compared to our competitors in that situation. If it's around awareness, I care about, am I hitting the right audience? Is it famous and authentic? And so you need to try and get away from isolated, cool-sounding KPIs, like message pull-through or engagement or reach or sentiment, and think, which are the KPIs that are most effective at hitting the objective within the customer journey that is relevant to me? And that way encourages teams to do the right job as opposed to this vanilla approach where they're trying to do everything. Because the tactic to change awareness is different to the tactic to change attitude or consideration or advocacy and so on. Johnny, if, if you've got these data sets that are absolutely too large to read, they're, they're growing too quickly f- to, to be manually reviewed, and your objective is to evaluate re- how they impact reputation, how do you get your arms around these huge data sets that are just exploding and impact reputation when you can't read them manually. Well, this is where our media monitoring friends do a wonderful job because they take these huge data sets and they give us that directional insight. But the guidance I would give is never rely on one metric because in the, even though in all my time doing this job, I think only five clients have given me their personal data from their company to give me that truly amazing insights. However, understanding I can't get that, I've always tried to find what other sources of data are out there to help me find that information. So get multiple sources that all could show the same information in different ways. And if they're all pointing in the same direction, yeah, that gives me enough confidence that it's the right answer. Can I can I just jump in here for a second too? Because I think that one of the things that is really critical if you're trying to really understand the impact you're having on outcomes or anything else 
is the ability to export the data. And there's a lot of companies out there that make it very difficult to to export your data in a way that you can pull it in to Google Data Studio or Power BI or whatever you want to be able to analyze it in to get the insights. You're going to have to pull that into some kind of analysis, and that's a really critical component. I, I agree with you. Uh, some type of a standard schema that they're all working from, or you know, I think a lot of people in communications can't identify that schema that they need to be able to ingest that. And so, looking at some of those simple exports is is a good solution and, and makes that available. Yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, Katie and Jana. I think that uh, be, being able to work with the data in, in unique ways is very, very powerful. Uh, we did an integration with Tableau, which has worked out really well for our clients. And we're bringing in other data to make our communications clients relevant across the organization. I was just jotting down a few of them, but we've tied in to sales, to customer actions, to customer engagements, stock price, investment portfolios, who's investing in your company, uh, employee engagement and satisfaction, recruiting, and, brand, of course, brand perceptions. All these data have been aggregated against a quality data set around the media to look for those patterns and trend. And Katie, as you correctly called out, to be able to take those data and get them into a place you can work with them, manipulate them, cross-tab them, look for patterns and trends, and, and make communications relevant, not just in the communications function, but frankly, across the whole organization, because that's really what we should be doing. That's where comms belongs, is not you know, putting baby in the corner, right? It belongs in the middle of the, of the C-suite. I mean, for example, one of my clients had, you know, was correlating their media coverage to Google analytic data, her, her goal conversions. And we were able to go in there and say, you know, you're spending a tremendous amount of time trying to corral celebrities to say nice things is not doing anything for you. The thing that's driving your goal conversions are your great visuals. So do more visuals and you'll get more goal conversions as opposed to trying to get, you know, celebrities quoted. You know, that's kind of information is kind of useful tool. It can say, okay, here's how I'm helping achieve those business priorities. It's a dangerous place to uh, tie PR to sales too much. I think we'd all agree with that, that, that uh, PR's job is primarily is not to drive transactional sales. It's meant to provide the air cover for the brand and the air cover for the sales team and the sales and marketing efforts. But in and of itself, in, in my humble opinion, I, I think we would all agree that if PR is seen as a primarily a sales-driven tool, and that's the primary goal and the metrics you're putting out there, it's a dangerous, slippery slope where you really are just become direct marketing and you really aren't doing communications strategy anymore. So just to go on two points that you've mentioned, first of all, about linking everything into a single place like Tableau or Microsoft BI. I'm a little bit against that, to be truthful. I'm not de denying it's useful, but it's putting the idea of data to be only in the power of those few people who can do those things. I love being, uh, being able to democratize it. So we can use Excel. We don't need to always have the funkiest, most expensive tools. Yes, I use TalkWalker, but if you have a look at some of the podcasts Eric did recently, I shared a full list of free tools that are also out there that you can use to get similar information. Your point yeah, is that's actually in the report. The, your list is in the report. Oh, fantastic. The important thing is we, I want us to, more people to have use of data rather than less. So let's not try and say you have to be able to use Tableau. You can use spreadsheets. You can use my Excel. You don't need to be able to use TalkWalker uh, when there's a free version of TalkWalker. You don't need to be able to use SimilarWeb Pro when there's a free version of SimilarWeb. Lots of these metrics that are, you can get out there, we don't need to spend the earth to do it. But the other point you mentioned, Eric, about linking PR to sales. I hate it when people say, we spent this much and it made that much revenue, unless that was the only activity done. But by measuring across the customer journey, you can find that directional insight across and comparative to your competitors to see how things do change. Because there are metrics that you can get that are publicly available that determine shifts in time. And that's where correlation really helps. 
And I know that correlation doesn't equal causation, but if there's enough proxy points proving the two things together, then that directional insight goes a long way to validate your approach. I also think that it's really important for, for PR to understand the process of goal conversions because I think that, let's assume you're using Google Analytics and not Adobe, which is a whole other story, but but like for the client that I was using, her their goal was um, to, literally to get more engagement because they could turn that into advertising revenue. And so they used a whole bunch of... of um, of different data points in in setting up goal conversions that could that, that they determined that PR was responsible for generating, but could be taken to the marketing department and saying, "Hey, this is what we're doing to help your ultimate business goal." Now, this was a nonprofit, so it wasn't sales at all. It was really about building support and engagement, and um, and generating email addresses and a bunch of other things. But but the point was, was the fact that we had all agreed up front that that's, that was PR's role in the in achieving the business objectives. And so it was relatively easy then to set things up in Google Analytics. Um, now, one other thing that another client is doing is, is, is using PR to drive search engine optimization. And again, that's another way you can, A, tie back to the customer journey and also uh, to show your contribution to the business goals. Dustin said, but I think we can probably all agree to as well, is that we know that PR works, we know that advertising works, we know that marketing works, right? And we know that they exponentially work better when they're all aligned and working together because that's how you can show lift, that's how you can show across the board different um, success for a brand, for an organization, when all of those things are aligned. And, and I think that goes back to the point of being able to integrate the data and being able to export data from, you know, a singular platform and to be able to have that layover effect of what it means to the organization. So when we're, you know, when our reputation takes a dip, does, you know, does our marketing efforts and our advertising efforts then know that's occurring so that they're ramping up their efforts on their end to fill that pipeline with new prospects, with different prospects, with what is that message? What is that carryover effect? And, and that's where I think, you know, when we talk about things in a, in a, in a singular element and we're looking at them specifically at either internal communications or external communications in PR, we lose the impact to an organization of what that means across the board and across the band. Jonna, you have sort of a, you know, a global view of the industry as a whole. You are the managing director of the trade association that represents the media monitoring providers. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing about the media monitoring sector, what would it be? <laughs> That's a good question. If I had a magic wand right now, if you weren't going to limit me to the media monitoring sector, I could think of maybe like, four letters that I would, five letters that I would uh, use that on. But, you know, I think, I think I would remove uh, the pursuit of vanity metrics from the marketplace. And I would force um, end users to have specific goals in mind when they came to partners and providers so that, they didn't perpetuate the myth of some of those vanity metrics. You know, one of, one of my favorite things right now to say is, you know, 1 million impressions does not mean 1 million people were impressed. And I think that's really important for people to understand for their brands when they've been delivering up some of these fast, cheap, and easy metrics, and they've created that as a benchmark of what they're trying to do. If they aren't demonstrating what some of the net effect of those elements are, and, and maybe they know, you know, for every 1,000 impressions, we know that that's going to generate an average of six leads. I mean, whatever that is for their organization, but they aren't doing that in a silo. And if they aren't communicating across all of the divisions of their organization, then, then they're losing something. And so I would eliminate the vanity metrics and the, um, the demand for those. 
so you know the the challenge of boolean filtering is under filtering so irrelevant stories get through or over filtering so some good stories don't get through how do you get boolean filtering right test 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 audit test test audit audit test Essentially, <laughs> you can do it. It just takes a lot of work. And to simply throw some Boolean terms together and think it's going to work the first time out, we set up a Boolean search string that accurately got all the coverage for Lockheed Martin and its competitors and all of its brands and all kinds of other things. It was 2,000 individual search strings, and it took us a month, right? I mean, it and that was years ago. I mean, I'm not sure I would ever do anything like that today. I wouldn't use Boolean at all. I just use machine learning. But, but in in that situation, but I think the filtering issue is one where people think it's easy and it's not. Um, you know, we had two, we had thousands of not terms. You know, for half of our clients. So it's not something you can do overnight. I think people are getting. In the on getting it wrong in the pursuit of perfection. There's, yes, you can make your boolean. There's no perfection with boolean. <laughs> you can make your no, but you can keep on going ad infinitum, and you can make it stronger. You can use tools that have more um, boolean phrases available beyond and or and not. You can have tools that have AI to be able to focus on relevance, but it's not that you shouldn't just expect it to finish there. It's the analyst that looks at the data that then says, this is what we need to know. So you took media monitoring technology will never replace the human that needs to come on top of it and say, these are the bits that are important now. And I never expect it to. I don't want to miss things, but I don't want to be so restrictive in my Boolean that I end up doing it as well. So I prefer to have a lot of false positives coming in that my, and of course we're trying to refine it as much as possible, but I still want my analysts to be able to say to the client, this is what you need to know today. They don't necessarily care about what media monitoring is coming in on the dashboards. They just want to make sure they know what they need to know and then critically what they should do about it. So yeah, strong is good, but that's not an end in itself. So final question as we wind down here, I'd like to hear everybody on this one. Um, how do you communicate the results of a media monitoring exercise effectively to the C-suite? I'm going to go first. I never talk about media monitoring results. I don't talk about outputs. I don't talk about the number of press releases or the number of impressions. The C-suite cares about sales. So I show them where they were in the customer journey before and where they are now. And if all our focus was changing awareness or consideration, I'll show how that changed and then show them because of that how it impacts the other parts like sales in the customer journey. That much the C-suite can understand. If you give them a bunch of charts and graphs, they, they don't understand it. They don't care. They just want to know have I improved my bottom line? And by showing the change in the customer journey, they can understand it and it is effective. Okay, Eric, 15 seconds. How do you communicate to the C-suite the results of a media monitoring effort? You know, I, I believe that comes down to great reliable analytics and data because CEOs and CFOs and CMOs are all brilliant data digesters. Now, you have to bring it to them in a high level so they can look at a chart and understand it. But I don't disagree with Johnny. I think that the customer journey, I, I would probably do a little bit bigger palette on that than just the customer journey, but I 100% agree with that as a cornerstone. But behind that is impact against business goals. It might be changing perceptions. It might be awareness. Are those part of the customer journey? Yeah, they probably are. So maybe this is a subset of what he's talking about. But to have quality data behind that when you walk in there, rather than vanity metrics, and that's huge. And a lot of organizations are doing an extremely poor job of that across our profession. And it's a little bit sad, frankly. And I think we all can do better. I think we all can help that. Jonna? Thanks, Eric. I think that the best way is to go back to the organizational goals and show the impact of communications and what you're trying to do. So whether that is 
reputation, you're addressing those very specific elements so they can see the lifts, they can see the correlation of the efforts and what you're trying to accomplish. And that then ties them and wets them to a better understanding of why setting clear objectives for their communications team is so important. Katie, take us out. Okay, none of us live in the heads of every CEO or CFO or whoever it is you're trying to report to, um, which is why I start off every single client engagement I have with a conversation with the CFO or whoever the highest person is I can get a hold of, sit them down in a room with the communications team, not lock the doors, feed them, you know, whatever I need to feed them in the meantime, and basically say you're not leaving here until we all agree what do you expect communications to contribute to that bottom line. And the truth is, is the fact that in many, many, many organizations, it may be, I want to boost our stock price. I want to increase our talent pool, whatever it happens to be. You don't live in their heads until you ask them the question. Sadly, a lot of PR people and a lot of communications folks don't ask that question up front. So I think that Basically, the first thing you got to do is say, what are the expectations? What do you expect me to contribute to the bottom line? And then, okay, now can we have a discussion about how you, I believe I can contribute? Do you agree with that? And if you then agree and say, okay, this is how we contribute, we can measure that. But it's got to start with an agreement and alignment and consensus among senior leadership and the comms team as to what they expect them to do for the bottom line. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this panel and for participating in the 2020 Media Monitoring Buyer's Guide, um, which is now up and online and available at ericschwartzman.com forward slash monitoring. So you can go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash monitoring, download the report. Um, next week, we will have a discussion with Alexandra Willis. She's the head of communications content and digital at the All England Tennis Lawn Club. And we're going to talk to her about the media relations program at Wimbledon this year. Uh, unfortunately, we just heard ATP just canceled the tour, but it'll be interesting to talk to her. She's been there for many years about how they accommodate media at uh, the most prestigious tennis tournament in the world. Um, I want to uh, give another shout out to the EFF, the Electronic Freedom Foundation, protecting your personal privacy rights online. More information at erichforsman.com forward slash EFF. And a special thanks to our um, gold sponsors, Flux Branding, a world-renowned resource for defining your visual brand. Flux Branding is a group of creative visionaries and graphic designers dedicated to helping clients build brand identities. More information at fluxbranding.com. And Digital Dragon, where children can develop the skills they need to prosper in the age of machines. Digital Dragon teaches digital literacy to tomorrow's programmers. And you can find more information about them at digitaldragon.com. Um, once again, you can download the Media Monitoring Buyer's Guide at ericschwartzman.com forward slash monitoring. Um, if you want to sign up for future sessions of this weekly webinar, you can do that at prtechwednesdays.com. And um, if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. This has been Eric Schwartzman. Thanks so much for joining us. Signing off.